As we hear again from the prophet Isaiah this morning, from the 42nd chapter, beginning with verse 1. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout out, or cry out, or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teachings, the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says. The creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to his people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. As the famous song goes, it is the most wonderful time of the year. And as Laura just pointed out, in the church we know that that means it is the season of Advent. Each year at this time, we, we begin a new Christian calendar with four weeks of anticipation. We unite with over 2,000 centuries of Christians looking towards the time when Christ will come again as we also remember in worship each Sunday the Israelites in their waiting for a Savior to come. The Israelites are waiting for a Savior to bring in the kingdom of God, and those of us who have experienced that kingdom now wait until Christ returns. But it is no secret that in doing this anticipating, it is all too easy to feel the overwhelming pressures of the countless things to do. I mean, how many Advents have begun with a sermon just like this? We have our parties and our kids' parties and our shopping and our decorating and our traveling and all the busyness of December. And yet here we are again with all those same pressures. You know, to me, the most surprising thing about this time of the year is just the general state of surprise we all feel at our all-too-predictable feelings of overwhelm. I'm, I'm surprised by the moment when somebody says to me, wow, I, I don't remember ever being this busy. And it's like when the weatherman of an Alabama news station goes on air in August and says, man, it's hot around here. I don't ever remember it being so hot around here. And you wish the anchor would just lean over to him and be like, how about last August? Well, the August before, here's some prognostication for you. Next August is going to be hot too. I guarantee you, over the next few weeks, somebody in this room, maybe you, maybe the person sitting next to you, is going to say, I don't remember a time where I've ever been so busy. 
and you will want to look at them or in the mirror and say, how about last December or the December before that? Because that's who we are in the 21st century in America. We are a people of doing. We are a people of busy. We are a people of lists and overwhelm. But unlike the heat in August, the way we experience Advent is still up for grabs. It doesn't have to be this way. As a church, we try our hardest to declare that this is not yet the Christmas season. Christmas comes after Advent. There are 12 days of it that begin on December 25th. If you drive by my house, my decorations will be up until January, and I'm not going to feel bad about it. Because we celebrate Christmas at the end of the month. Right now, in direct contrast to that, Advent is supposed to be a season of waiting. A time remembering how the Israelites waited for a Savior to come. We join with the great tradition of the saints before us, waiting for the Messiah to return. This is traditionally known as the season of waiting patiently, which sounds a lot different than most of our Decembers. The irony of it all is that in the middle of this busy season, the busiest season of our year, the thing we are supposedly waiting for is peace. Peace on earth and goodwill to men. In John's gospel, Jesus said, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us, the one who is to bring peace on earth. And so if I pray for anything in this Advent season, I pray that you will experience this entire month as a time of patiently waiting for peace. Because it is through Jesus that God offers all of creation that so elusive but ever-present hope offered by every pageant participant, the hope of world peace. I mean, that was, after all, one of the promises that the prophets made about the Messiah, right? That he would bring world peace. This whole series for the next season of Advent, we're going to be looking at the promises from the Old Testament. We'll visit with Micah, and we'll visit with Isaiah and the psalmist, and we'll hear again these promises that God made to the Israelites about a Savior that was going to come. And the Israelites really needed that. Because during the time of the prophet's writings, the Israelites were in a real bad way. Multiple times they had been conquered and much of the people had been kicked out of their homeland. These writings happened during the time we call the exile, where they were removed from the places they've known for centuries. During these days, the people were scattered to the wind. Some of them were far off. Some were just on the outskirts of the promised land. Some were still technically in the land, but they had no control. They were governed by foreign rulers and authorities. At this point in the history of God's chosen people, there was very little to celebrate. There was little to be proud of. But even still, they had something to hold on to. They had God's promises. These people clung to the promises because they were, for them, the light in the darkness. These promises were the only hope when all hope was lost. 
And so with these ancient people, we too hold on to the promises of God. The promises of restoration, of eternity, and of surprise. During this Advent, we will see how these promises are still things that we cling to as we wait for the Messiah to come again. But today we focus on the promise God made through Isaiah about the peace that the Savior would usher in. The promise that Jesus would bring world peace. But this manner of peace is probably not what most of the Israelites were expecting or what we might imagine when we think of world peace. For most of human history, peace is a product of war. There's only peace if a nation was strong enough to impose its might and maintain it. Aristotle once said, it is not enough to win a war. It is more important to organize the peace. When we think of peace, we often think of civil order. We imagine of a ruling authority or a government implementing laws for proper behavior in society. And whereas order is definitely a part of the kingdom of God, the peace that Christ offers is very different than any version rulers on earth are capable of conjuring. For starters, it's a peace that stretches beyond the familiar. Most often we feel at peace when we are comfortable. When we are with people just like us, doing things that feel normal. And the same was true for the Israelites, right? In their mind, the Messiah would come and restore them, restore their people. He would make things as they once were, bring back the monarchy and restore the former glory that would benefit their ways of life. They expected the Messiah would would lift the Israelites from suffering and place them in a position of their interloping overlords. That was what they had in their mind when they thought that a savior was to come. That peace would come from a warrior rising up to overthrow the enemies, fighting with swords and spears to remove those that are not like them. But here again what Isaiah 42 said. This is what the Lord God says, the creator of heavens and who stretches them out. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and I will hold your hand. I'm going to take your hand. And you will be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. Isaiah doesn't say that God is promising they will overthrow everyone else. Instead, he's promising that they would be a covenant for the people. He's saying that they will be able to embody his promise for everybody else. Further, this this promise that Isaiah, that God's making through Isaiah, it, it's a promise not for the Israelites. It's a promise that they will be a light for the Gentiles. Quick reminder, anybody's a Gentile if they're not Jewish. You're part of the Israelites or you are a Gentile. You are an us or you are a Gentile. Gentiles are the ones that are in the land and they're around the lands, but they're not part of the Israelites. But through Isaiah, God is promising that the Israelites will be a light for everybody else, which is kind of hard to do if your Savior is solely coming to reverse the circumstances, right? Like, it's tough to raise up an army to subjugate those that are subjecting you and then have them want to be like you, right? I I don't know that I've ever heard of any conquered people who see their conquerors as lights. I doubt those are the words they would use 
for the people who come and rule over them in their homeland. And just a few chapters later, as we heard read during the lighting of the candle from the same prophetic book, God clarifies and expands this promise even further. Isaiah writes, The Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners and to comfort all who mourn. I'm not sure if you've ever traveled before, if you've ever met somebody from somewhere else, if you've ever watched the news, but suffice it to say, there are poor, brokenhearted, and mourning people everywhere. All over this earth. Yes, at Isaiah's moment in history, the Israelites were all of these things, but they surely were not alone in being downtrodden. They didn't have the market cornered on brokenheartedness. No, Jews and Gentiles, Greeks and non-Greeks, slave and free, male and female, young and old, the Apostle Paul tells us. All these different categories, they all had people who were brokenhearted. In every group on the earth, there are people who mourn. And God's promise through Isaiah was that all who are destitute, would experience the comfort and provision of the coming Messiah. That the work God was going to do for the Savior and through the Savior was for everybody. I mean, isn't that the very thing that Jesus embodied during his time on earth? Isn't that who we proclaim Christ to be? The angel sang it during his birth, right, to the shepherds. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you that is the Messiah, the Lord. The the harbingers of the Lord declared the very promise God made through Isaiah was being fulfilled in Jesus, that there was good news and joy for all people. And think of Jesus' ministry on earth. I mean, throughout the Gospels, Jesus is healing the sick, caring for the, the brokenhearted, He's lifting up the lowly and ministering to the people who are unlike everybody else. I mean, Jesus was not just concerned with the one group who thought they were entitled solely to the Savior's work. What does Jesus do? He takes ships to the Gentile land. He he ate with sinners. He traveled with tax collectors. The lepers who were untouched by everybody felt the warm embrace of Jesus Christ. Jesus included the unincluded, initiated the uninitiated, and through it all, Jesus was bringing peace on earth. But it was not a peace that they could yet understand. I mean, even those that were closest to Jesus didn't get it. The disciples were always asking questions. I mean, even up to the night when Jesus was arrested, his friends wanted to defend him with violence, but he told them to put away their swords. They'd spent all this time living and traveling with the bearer of peace, and they were still drawn to fight. I mean, it's no wonder we think peace only comes through violence. When those closest to Jesus couldn't wrap their heads around this new world order, even those who knew Christ best did not understand his version of peace. So today on this first Sunday of Advent, we remember the promise that God made to bring world peace. 
to bring peace on earth. This is not just the ultimate peace of eternity that comes at the end of time. We're actually going to talk about that in week three. So you want to be here. We're going to talk about heaven and eternity. But today we affirm that in Jesus, the promise of peace that God made through Isaiah is being fulfilled. And we are bearers. We bear witness to that peace here and now through the way that we shine light to those in the darkness. I mean, God wants peace for our lives, just as God wanted peace for the ancients. It's not a peace that comes through bloody battles or violent war. It can come through the ordinary daily activities of professing Christ crucified and emulating the works of God incarnate. It comes through the people of God being a light to the world for caring for the brokenhearted, by by comforting those who mourn. You will find peace when you participate in the first gift mission day we're going to do in a few weeks. You you will find peace when you go read at Leinkoff Elementary School, when you go caroling in the nursing home, when you're distributing toys with the Society of St. Stephen's. You find peace when you bear that peace to others. I pray that in this season, you will find a way to be bearers of Christ's light, Christ's peace on earth, and that in so doing, you will experience that peace for yourself, that peace that passes all understanding, and that when you do, I I pray that it sparks something in you that leads you to find a way to bear that peace and experience it every month of the year, that you will find peace on earth all year long. Finally, as perhaps most importantly for this particular season, in Advent, we can say that we find peace by doing these things, by by going and serving. And you also find peace, though, in the waiting. That's where we started today and where we'll end. The peace on earth is possible. You can experience it by patiently waiting. The classic work, war and peace. Everything comes in time to those who know how to wait. There's nothing stronger than these two. Patience and time. They will do it all. Even in the waiting, we experience peace on earth. Do you feel that right here? When we come to worship, And we hear these stories all over again. Here, there is peace. Jesus said, my peace, I bring you. My peace, I leave you. It is here. When when we move the calendar painstakingly slowly each day forward to the 25th with the anticipation of the child waiting for that morning to open their presence, In that patient waiting, we can experience the peace of Christ. When we sing each and every verse of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel over the next couple weeks, that peace is here for you. In waiting for the return of the Savior, we can dream about the world as it should be and do the work and the waiting of showing that eternal peace in the here and now. May the Lord 
bring you peace. And may there be peace on earth. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.